Genesis chapter 37. Joseph dreams. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought to their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Well, good morning, everybody. You see, today we're beginning a series that we're looking at over the summer called Mythbusters. All about the things in our lives that we believe to be true. All about the things in our society that we hold dear, but that maybe have more questions than we realize. The stories that we believe maybe have more fiction in them than fact. And today we kick off by focusing on a story, a theme, a narrative that that Susan Boyle clip, I think, illustrates. And it is this. The desire in our society that I can be somebody. The idea that we can be significant. Whether it is to do with being famous, as the old Andy Warhol quote says or being successful, or powerful, or important. The emphasis on, we can change history, we can make a difference, I can be somebody. It's right at the center of our educational system, it's right at the center of so much in our celebrity world. We don't have to look far to see this powerful message. Just a quick Google, and you see lots of examples. I have a problem with low self-esteem, which is really ridiculous when you consider how amazing I am. Or this one, you are perfect exactly as you are with all your flaws and problems. There's no need to change anything. All you need to change is the thought that you have to change. Or this brilliant Dr. Seuss quote, why fit in when you were born to stand out? Oh yeah. Summarized lovely though by this Audrey Hepburn quote, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. And I have stood in this hall, giving an assembly in this school, when I have said these words from a famous platinum-selling pop song. Yeah, you can be the greatest, you can be the best, you can be the King Kong banging on your chest, standing in the hall of fame, and the world's going to know your name. Because you burn with the brightest flame, and the world's going to know your name. You'll be on the walls of the hall of fame all providing a powerful message 
of the possibility of achieving your dreams, as Susan Boyle sang. And add into that some recent political history. It's a heady mix of self-esteem, self-confidence, fulfilling your dreams, instilling a self-confidence in your abilities, not taking no for an answer. And there is much about these messages that are understandable and are brilliant. After generations of exclusion and for some repression and oppression, the new era encourages all of us to use our unique God-given gifts and talents, who we are, to make a difference in society. It tells everybody that regardless of education, class, race, background, gender, on and on and on and on, regardless of any of those things, you have a valuable and important part to play in society. What a message. Brilliant. And yet, as one author recently wrote, I continue to be amazed by the number of youth and young adults who are stressed and burnt out from the regular shaming and feelings of inadequacy if they happen to not be doing something unique and special. Today's generation is being fed the message that if they don't do something extraordinary in this life, they are wasting their gifts and potential. Or as Madonna said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. And for some of us, Right now in this room, we struggle with this. My generation, if you're of my sort of age, late 30s, we've brought up believing we can be history makers, changing the world. And if you're anything like me, you get to a certain stage in life where you long for more than what your life is currently offering you because you would believed you can be the one. You can change history. And the more... Mundane nine to five doesn't seem to cut it. Well, today, we're going to explore for a few brief moments the story of one biblical character, Joseph. You may know of him, Joseph the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Dreaming Dreams. And through all of this, we'll begin to understand that this story that our society teaches, this dream that we have bought into, is maybe not quite as straightforward and maybe God's perspective on all of this is a little different, summarized by this verse that we're going to keep on the screen for the whole time from the book of Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So let's jump into the story of Joseph. You may know it, you may not, but let me sketch, trying to do it in one minute, Joseph's story. We've read the beginning of it. starts in the land of Canaan with Jacob and his boys. But Joseph is the favorite one. The brothers don't like him, and so they try to get rid of him because he'd been given a lovely Gucci coat. And not only that, he says some dreams to his brothers that they will one day bow down to him. So they try and get rid of him. One wants to kill him, they, others don't. Uh, others want to kill him, one doesn't. So they end up selling him, and he gets sold to slaves as a slave. 
He gets bought by a decent guy, Potiphar, who gives him a good job. He does well, but then he's accused of a sex crime. Lands him in prison, not death. But even there, God was with him. And eventually he meets some of the king's men who are also in prison. And because God has this amazing thing, the amazing ability to interpret dreams, he interprets dreams for these two guys. One of them gives hope of freedom. One of them gives a curse of death. Both come to pass. So he longs as the one is released to get released, but then the guy forgets him. Until one day the Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, has a dream. And his man says to him, oh, I remember a guy in prison. And so Joseph, from prison in a country he shouldn't be at, in a place he shouldn't be at because he was accused of a sex crime and abused by his brothers, gets taken before the king of the known world. And God enables him to interpret a dream. As a result of that, he is made prime minister. Talk about rags to riches. And this was without an election as well. <laughs> Little sideways political comment there. Then he gets married and then his family back in the nation where he calls home face starvation and famine. So they come to the only place where, where there might be food, Egypt. And of course, who's in charge of that food? Joseph. They don't recognize him anymore. And it reopens old wounds as he's confronted face to face with those who caused him so much damage. And then we get to the end of the story where there's weeping reconciling, forgiveness, and Joseph is a changed man. And from this, very, very briefly, there are four things I want to just draw out that might speak into our desire to be somebody. And the first is this, a question. Do your dreams for your life drive you to distraction? Or worse, do your dreams for your life drive you to destruction? We all know what it's like. We long to achieve something in life, whether it's a certain career, whether it's a certain relationship status, whether it's to have certain things in our life, a certain size of a house, certain speed of car, certain amount in our bank balance, and on and on and on. And we're not settled until we get there. And that means for many of us, we get to certain stages in life where there's this nagging, nagging feeling that we could do slash should do more. Life promised us more than we've got. And as psychologist Oliver James says this, this is the death that so many people suffer today. Death by social comparison. If we make all our self-esteem so contingent on external standards, we run a huge risk of feeling like failures. Even if we succeed in our terms, there will always be somebody better than us. Well, in the life of Joseph, it's a cautionary tale, isn't it? Chapter 37, as Penny read to us, let me read to you some tragic words. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. It's clear that Joseph grew up believing he was special. Jose Mourinho, the special one. And so he has two dreams and two fateful lines. Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers, verse 5. And then verse 8 
Verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Why? Well, why not? Because he's the special one. This dreams that one day my life will be like this. As one author says of Joseph, he was a prima donna, a brat, happily taunting his brothers. His self-righteousness was leading him on a path to being at best a terribly unattractive person and at worst a cruel person too proud to really love anyone. And here's the rub. If we've got dreams for our life, what does it do to us when they're unachieved? Does it lead us to distraction or even destruction of others? Caution with your dreams of how they drive you. Some of us have dreams for the future in our lives. Some of us have even been given prophetic words for the future. Some of us simply expect things to be better than they are. And we live there and we let them drive us to unhealthy, unhelpful places. And we let them drive us to treat others because they're getting in our way in shocking ways. Sadly, history is littered, and dare I say it, the church history is littered. There are, you don't have to look far to read some of the heroes, some of the missionary heroes, names you would remember if you've been around church for a while. And you actually pick up what the way they treated their spouse or their family, and it's not quite as lovely as we would hope. Does your dream drive you? to destruction or distraction. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Your ways are not my ways. Second question for our dreams. Do your dreams for your life lead you to ignore the journey? Now, Joseph's story was horrific. What a journey. Treated terribly by those closest to him, those he trusts. And over the years it would have seemed that God was abandoning him. But God was always at work. And we get to the beautiful verses at the end of the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50. Let me read them to you. When he finally is confronted with his brothers again, and he's the prime minister, can give them food. Verse 18 of chapter 50. Joseph's brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Do you see that? He starts off the story as a prima donna, a brat, selfish. You're going to bow down to me. And he ends as a godly, wise, caring, providing man, saving the ones who abused him. That wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been on the journey he went on. As Bono said, I couldn't let go of my faith when his mother died. But what I think is more interesting is that I don't think God will let go of me. Sometimes, and can I say this with as much care and caution as I can, sometimes God may be breaking us in order to remake us. Like the dry stone walls that you see, sometimes when they're flawed, they need to be rebroken 
to remake them into strong, robust walls that will endure the storms. And so for some of us, we may need to hear this morning, are your dreams of what will one day be leading you to ignore the journey of what currently is? The people that you're around, the place you currently are, the hopes that you have may be meaning that you're just not settling at the moment and ignoring what God is doing right now in you and through of you. Some of us can be so focused on what may be that we forget that God is right now working in you and through you. Why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. He may be doing something in you right now that in 10, 20, 30 years, you look back and say, thank you. So that's the second thing. Third thing, racing on. Are your dreams for your life focused on my will be done or thy will be done? Is it really about me or him? I love the Nietzsche quote. If there is a God, I cannot bear not to be that God. The stunning thing about this story, I don't know if you picked it up as it's read to us. If you've got your Bibles, just cast your mind back. But Genesis, Genesis 37. Let me read how Joseph's story begins. And I think this is stunning. Genesis 37 verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17. Da, 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 da. Who's it about? Not Joseph. <laughs> Jacob. In fact, it's not even about Jacob. It's about Jacob's family line. And so we cast forward to Genesis 47 when we read some beautiful words. Now the Israelites, this is after they've gone there because there's no food at home. They've gone to Egypt to get some food. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. The whole point of Joseph's existence, the whole journey of his story is not about Joseph at all. It's not even about Jacob. It's about his family line and what God is doing, building his people, building them to be a blessing and to be blessed. So too in our culture. It's not about my dreams or your dreams at all, is it? God is doing something way bigger in your life and through your life than you will ever imagine. His great story throughout the pages of Scripture is that God is building a people, God is building His people to be a blessing and to be blessed for this broken world. And God is doing that in you if you're a follower of Christ and through you. And so our little dreams of achieving this pale in comparison to His grand plans that we may not see at the moment. And this struck me a few years ago when I was praying that I would get a job. I had a job, as in not any job, I had a particular job. I was praying that I would get this job. It wasn't coming to Riverside, by the way. And I suddenly realized that me praying to get this job meant what? It meant that I was also praying that somebody else wouldn't. And it suddenly made me realize I'm simply praying that somebody else would be excluded. 
Because, of course, God's all about me, isn't he? And it suddenly struck me as I heard the gentle words, my way or your way. God may have bigger plans for your life than you will ever see. And in Christ, as we look at the cross, as we've thought already when Jesus said it is finished and died there for us, we realize that God's work in our life is not at all based on our performance. Your value is not dependent on what you achieve, whether you make your dreams or not. They're irrelevant. God looks at you and sees his son. Why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways, my ways. So, don't be driven to distraction or destruction. Don't forget the journey that God is at work right now. Don't also get caught up in it being about me rather than him. But finally, here's a question. Are the dreams for your life really going to be that rewarding anyway <laughs> if they come to pass? What happens if you achieve those dreams you long for? Those things, that more that currently isn't? What would your life be like? I love a Jim Carrey quote when he said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. <laughs> At the end of the book of Genesis, as Joseph's story comes to an end, we read these words. Verse 24 of chapter 50. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised. And then the very last words of the book of Genesis. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's dreams do come true. His brothers do literally bow down to him. And yet, the grand story is still incomplete. He and his family are still in Egypt, nowhere near that land that God had promised them of peace and security. In other words, if you're relying on your dreams being the main thing in your life, the source of all satisfaction and fulfillment, and if only I could achieve this, can I encourage you that there will always be more undone. And if you get there, you'll have other things that are incomplete. And the key, therefore, is realizing, as Joseph says, God will surely come to your aid. That ultimately, it's not our dreams. It's the trustworthiness of God's great plans for your life, for your story. This great story that you are in right now. And God does work his purposes out. Why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. And so therefore we can move forward freely with freedom. Saying, Lord, your will be done. Use me for your glory. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you your great grace thank you that we don't have to depend on what we achieve thank you that we can depend on what Christ has achieved for us so that we can stand face to face with you the God of all eternity 
accepted, forgiven, regardless of what we achieve. And may we then be people who, with our unique God-given talents and gifts, serve you, whatever that looks like, we pray. And all God's people said,